2020, baby. Welcome, City Love. Episode 1, Season 2 of the illustrious City Love podcast. Straight out of the Foursquare of Air studio in beautiful Portland, Oregon. Here with me today for the intro of this uh, particular podcast episode is my podcast partner. I was thinking of all the different... What The pause was about me thinking of all the different um, <laughs> roles that John plays in my life, and there's many, and so I had to pick that one. So uh, podcast producer slash buddy slash um, epic dancer, John Thompson. Well, hey, <clears throat> hey, Patrick. You fucked that up, John. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> right. Wait, okay, so this is the this is the third time we're trying to do episode two, season no episode one of season two. Okay, and I I always want to do this. I want to tell you the date. We're doing this on January thirty first, twenty twenty. So we're through the month of January. The month has been amazing to me. This year, I'm a total resolution person. John, are you a resolution person? Yep, I absolutely love it. Yes. So we're resolution buddies. We have many goals this year. We're going to work together on all kinds of awesome projects. And I really do want to sort of use this season of the City Love podcast to talk about these personal goals and how I'm really trying to get my life into a more into a mode that fits my interests better. So I have a varied background of a gazillion different kinds of jobs, uh, which we will go into right now, starting right now. The first job I ever had in 1993. Okay, no, we won't do that. I know now you're curious, though, so you got to keep listening, and one day I'm going to tell you what my first job was ever. That was a real job, a job where you had to fill out a tax form. That's what I consider a real job. Do you? Uh, yes. Yeah, Paperboy doesn't enough. count. That's true. Um... Were you a Paperboy? <laughs> 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 We're just also, yeah. Um, process. That was one thing I wanted to say. Yeah. This year is about process and it's not about results. So this is the third time we're trying to do the episode, um, of pressing the record button and then saying, Oh my God, this is garbage. Uh, this is it though. I could feel it. Right. Can you feel it? This is it. I just had to give myself a little bit more energy and say, you're doing it. You glow right now compared to the first couple of times. Oh, he has this light in the studio. It's this beautiful orange glow. We're so excited because, like I said, or I, didn't, I said it in the last one that we had deleted. Um, John's a filmmaker as well, and I would say I'm his muse. I'm one of your. I'm your. I would. Con- I'm one of your muses, right? Yeah, one hundred. I inspire you. I want you in every single one of my videos. Two hundred and twenty mm-hmm. pounds of inspiration here. I think I added a few pounds. I'm. I'm maybe two fifteen. Are you? Yeah, you carry it well. I do. I do. I'm trying. I'm trying my best. So, yeah, so we're going to have this year be about process. So I don't care who listens to this podcast, honestly. I'm, and then you think, well, why would you do a podcast if you don't care who listens to it? Because I'm I'm doing this to figure out what I think. So this is a workbook. And I think this is, is really valuable to to treat podcasting like a loose area of exploration. I know it's recorded. But I really want to put the message out there that my ideas can change. I can be wrong. I am interested in being wrong and being uh, disappointed in myself and figuring out what's going on and what I believe and how things evolve and change. So the theme of this podcast mostly, I mean, I'm adding all this other stuff, personal stuff, but that's it's all rotating around my passion of urbanism, the study of human habitat. 
there's not a lot of great information out there that I can find that is blending all the different things that I see when I think of human habitat cities. Um, what I do see in reality and the past year is a sort of strange breakdown of how things happen in our city. Um, and it seems maybe in other cities this is happening too. So it's important. Portland, Oregon has always been a very important city in terms of uh, urban planning. And also, I think, as a forecast for what cities are going to do. And I feel like the city's losing that spot. It's becoming a run-of-the-mill, do like every other city does. It doesn't matter. There's not a lot of passion involved. Um, so I'm kind of dismayed. And this last year has been about me sort of accepting where we're at and accepting that we're losing a lot of great parts of all of our cities uh, for various reasons. And so we're going to get into it. But uh, what I'm going to do, too, is have a theme for these first I don't even know how many episodes I'm going to just talk about my own philosophy of urbanism. There needs to be a forum of urbanism. It's like too important to not have the public educated about their own environment and where they live and how they live and what's going to happen to all of us. You know, right now we live in a city where it's becoming a place for investors and wealthy people to invest and the working class is used as a reason to create all these investments, but there's some falseness to that 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 I really want to get to the root of. And so I'm going to try to be more of a journalist this year about things like that. And I really want to get guests on here that are amazing. And I, I know off the top of my head five people that would be absolutely amazing, but I want to make sure that I'm prepped. And so... Uh, I really want to get into my philosophy and talk about how I came up with those things and the different ideas that I have about uh, urbanism. Uh, my background, did we talk about that yet? Uh, talk about it. Yeah, again. so I love improv. I love uh, doing acting stuff. And so John is a filmmaker, so we do things together. We're currently producing a little web series called Electric Meat Parade, which is based on uh, the improvisation that Dan Hill and I do. He's my improvisational partner. And uh, we're doing all kinds of other stuff. Last year, John made a couple movies, made music videos. Uh, really impressive, amazing stuff. And I put 100% faith behind you in everything that you do, honestly. Scary. Like, you got you got a lot to offer the world. And uh, I think what we got to do is just start, you know, I need to support you and we just need to do it. And uh, not worry about all of the content that's out there, you know, that's what is really daunting. And that's what really got me too. like, after doing a few episodes of season one, City Love podcast uh, was like, Oh, my God, this is like a drop in the ocean of content, you know, and what the heck do I know? Like, I'm not a PhD. I have an undergrad degree in, in urban planning from University of Oregon. Uh, and I just have a unquenchable thirst for anything that has to do with architecture or urbanism or ecology it's just it's never ending it's just this constant it's like this it's like you love something so much that you get to the underbelly of it you get to the foundational structure of it and then you start to see all of the workings of how it becomes sort of philosophical and then what i'm realizing about the 21st century and just 
in general. It's like we have all got to be better educated about philosophy and psychology because all kinds of things are happening to us and our bodies and our environments that are affecting us that we have no words to describe. We have nothing to say what it is, right? So here's an example. Um, if you walk into a Walmart, or not a Walmart, like, you know, like if you walk into certain environments, they make you feel a certain way. Why is that? You know, I, that's, this is the things that I find so interesting. Why do people travel all over the world to go see beautiful things? This is just one or two of the little things I think about. But basically, there's so much, con not content, there's so many ideas in my head and what happens is they get blocked. So what I need to do is start siphoning them out and organizing them. And that's what this podcast is really about. Organizing the ideas and putting everything into a sort of cohesive, like, oh, this is what I think. Um, there's lots of books and stuff like that that I find in interesting and that have affected how I believe stuff because it ranked true. And so those books are super important to me. The, the biggest one to me is The Pattern Language. Uh, that book basically, once I learned the patterns or just kind of looked that there are patterns in our environment, it really helps you understand what works, what doesn't. And it helps you kind of sift through all of the political garbage that's thrown at urbanism. A lot of the reason why we live the way we live is because of politics, not because of anything that has to do with design, you know? And so... Uh, Let's see. Anything else you want to say, John, about hopes for this year? I'm ready to go. Season two. I yeah. hope we do uh, at least four episodes this year. <laughs> at least four episodes. Yeah. <laughs> and well, we're like a British podcast. It's like, you know, four episodes is a whole season. Quality over quantity. Yeah, quality over quantity. Yeah. Yes. And so now I want to talk about the topic that I've chosen for today, and I've entitled it The Engineer and the Artist. So I was thinking about how to organize my thoughts about this stuff, and I first thought, well, we have to figure out how the human being uh, perceives the world. And I'm not a neuroscientist, so I'm not going to go through all this stuff. I'm just going to be, I'm a pretty conceptual person when I'm talking about this stuff. Uh, but what I wanted to really talk about today was the artist and the engineer and how when I say that, what I mean is the two sides of each of our brains. Uh, we have our left side of our brain, which is the, that's the artistic side, the conceptual side, and the right side. Wait, am I right about that? Flip. Flip. Okay, yeah. Damn it. I knew I was going to do that. Um, the right <laughs> the right side is the engineer side. No. I just did it again. <laughs> the right side is the artist. The left side is the engineer. <laughs> Jesus. Okay. Yeah. Sweet baby Jesus, give me strength. Metaphors don't have sides anyways. Yeah. They don't pick sides. They don't pick sides. So that's how our brain is built. So I think that means something. And we're living in an era, if you look through, and you got to know history too. If you're going to be an urbanist, you got to kind of know something about history. And I've, I really started to think, um, you know, there were times in human history where 
one side of the brain culturally was more in charge and had more influence than the other. And so that idea was really interesting to me. Like some eras are all like the engineer is just what culture is about. It's like about engineering, technology, advancement. And then some eras are about concepts, emotions, beliefs, spirit. So when I think of the cathedrals that they built in medieval Europe, you think to yourself, these people built these amazing structures, but they didn't even have plumbing. You know, it's like they were pooping in buckets and throwing it out the window. But then they, the next morning, it's like, honey, I got to go to work and build this masterpiece. And they have to, the guy would leave the house and be like eating on, you know, some sort of hard bread and then get to work and he start chiseling a gargoyle. You know, he spent all day doing that. He was an old man, the cathedral not even done. He shows his grandkids. You see that gargoyle? I did that like 60 years ago. This is my life's work. And to a person of the 21st century, it boggles my mind. And I've been trying to think about it and think about it. And also my own background of being raised very Catholic and Irishy, I guess, Irish American. It's a certain mindset. And that mindset takes the spirit of humanity and the spirit of the individual very seriously. And I could see in medieval times, right, you could say, wow, they really had a spirit in that in that era. But then you could say, well, God, but the, yeah, they didn't have plumbing. The Black Plague would come into town and it was like this horrendous disaster. And so it makes sense that Nowadays, we worship engineering. We just think engineering is it. And as I've lived in this town uh, for 13 years, I, I see how, and I can only really talk about uh, my own experience where I live. It's Maybe it's happening everywhere. I go to Chicago and visit, but I can't say like it's happening there for sure. But it's like here I see that in our culture, things are getting more materialistic. It's getting more about engineering and I think both sides of that coin, whether it goes way too artist or way too engineer, it's dangerous. Because what I think the overall goal for an urbanist and a, not an urbanist, but because an urbanist is studying stuff. But what you're really looking for is an environment built for humans and built for the nature of the world that's balanced and harmonious. That is the the epitome of success. That's a great habitat. And we're going to totally talk about that this whole season. That's going to be the thing I obsess about. What is balance? How are we getting there? What's happening now? And I definitely feel like the tables have tipped where it is all about engineering because what I'm seeing in my own town is that I can't even say to people that historic preservation is important because they look at me like old buildings are old, gross, you know, like get rid of them. They're not efficient. They don't they don't uh, house enough people. We could tear down all these old houses and build skyscrapers where everybody can have their own micro apartment or something. And on paper, that looks good. But because of all of my osmosis and studying of this subject, that's an epic disaster in the making. You cannot just go for the engineer. You have got to have both. A human being needs beauty to have in their life. They can't just get their human needs met. A baby that's not held will die. Even if you give it all the food and all the nourishment and the proper heat, it will die. That's how important both sides of the brain are. But 
we're in this age of techno worship, you know, and money worship and no one questions it. And I'm just here yelling off the Grand Canyon edge of the internet saying that's wrong. It's not, that is definitely wrong. It's about balance and our society and the society I live in, in my community of Portland, Oregon, it is becoming unbalanced. And when I moved here, I was so amazed by the balance that I saw. I saw so much balance and harmony in how things were kind of dealt with that I was like, wow, this place is really impressive. I, I found it very impressive. Um, and it took me a while to appreciate the artistry of old buildings because I was definitely not a historic preservation person in terms of like saving every old building. But now I kind of feel like almost every old building should be saved. And we're going to totally get into those reasons later on. But I definitely want to just talk about the artist and the engineer and be kind of focused on that topic right now, because uh, my head does get filled with so many ideas and they start to bleed in and I want to focus. So here's an example of the engineer. So all of the freeways that we have, why aren't they better looking like why are they so dull it's like it doesn't matter it's getting you safely from a to b sometimes you drive through an area that has freeways and they do some little decoration stuff uh but the obsession with engineering kind of started it feels like to me world war ii that era like the 20th century was all about engineering and you could see the dark side of engineering right they engineered how to kill an entire ethnic group i mean that was the epitome of the darkest side of engineering you can get. Uh, but also came up with vaccine for polio, uh, learning about nutrition, learning about vitamins, learning about all these things, learning about how to prevent disease, learning about sanitation. These were all important advances in urbanism that happened because of the engineer. Because instead of seeing someone die and say, oh, they got that because they were sinful, we, as a species, we went beyond that and said, what's really causing that? And I think what's happened is that people discount anything of the spirit or anything of the emotional side of humanity. And I think, uh, uh, we got to get away from that because it's, uh, not, it's not working and it's not going to work. And I could see it in my own town, you know, that people, they, I can't believe that people don't even know the value of old stuff. When I think about what to compare it to, it's like if people went to the Mona Lisa and just said, okay, there's some wood there. That's maybe, what, 25 cents of wood. It's old wood. It's maybe 50 cents, dollar I can get for that. The canvas is maybe a dollar. I can get maybe a dollar for old canvas. And then the paint that's on there is, uh, you know, maybe like I, I could scrape that off. And then I could, I have, I have what that object is. The object is canvas, wood, paint. Now, I hope that when I say that, you're like, duh, it's not just that. But you tell me, how do you quantify the value of the Mona Lisa? You know, because that's the struggle we're having right now. It's like, I can't, you, I can quantify it, but it's a long-term quantification, right? So when Leonardo, when Leonardo, I want to say DiCaprio. He's another <laughs> genius and probably the most genius of the Leonardos. But Leonardo da Vinci, you know, when he's alive, right, people are like, whatever. He's just some dude. I bet he was a weird dude. That They're like, he's a weird dude. He's always carrying that notebook. Why is he doing that? You know what I mean? The value is because time went on and that his genius was a one-time deal. Also, that painting is a cultural 
nexus point for God only knows what reason. It just is. So there, that if you were going to quantify that painting, and you probably could, uh, I, I mean, a billion dollars? I mean, it's got to be worth something like that. It's got to be. And that is what I see when I look at cities and I when I see the old parts of cities, any city, any city that has its oldest part, that is the valuable part. That's the treasure. Why is that the treasure? Because that's the story of the place. And without the story, it loses value. That's why sub- suburbia is so... It doesn't have a lot of connection. It doesn't have a lot of... Uh, it kind of doesn't even have its own name. Like when you... if Especially if you're from like Chicago... You just say I'm from the suburbs. Like you don't even say which suburb because there's 300 suburbs probably of Chicago or LA or whatever big giant city. It loses any, it doesn't have any meaning. It doesn't need a name, you know, but when a place is entrenched in time, uh, it has this innate value that it's not part of engineering. It's, it's part of the other part of the brain. It's, it's part of the experience It's part of the beauty and there's something else that happens with those neighborhoods where uh, the trees grow with the buildings. I mean, the buildings are built and then the trees and the environment and nature sort of ensconces it and it becomes harmonious with nature and then it becomes even better. And in Portland, Oregon, the nature is on steroids. It's like the gardens are just bursting, you know, so to tear all of that down and to build giant squares to just make more housing units it's you're missing the whole point it's the baby throwing not only it's just getting thrown out the window it's like not even just out of the bathtub it's it it's sort of like i understand there's human needs of course and i'm a low income person so i'm totally for creating you know low cost housing but it's like not at the cost of the identity of a place and not at the cost of the true value of a place. And without those really, really valuable Mona Lisa neighborhoods, you don't have anything to offer the world. And that is the epic problem with letting the engineer do everything. And the engineer is a smug part of your brain. The engineer says, oh, you, you believe in spirits and you're this crazy woo-woo playing a flute in a lagoon kind of part of the brain. I don't, I don't respect you. And who are our heroes now, right? It's all these tech people that took engineering and made it godlike, you know, Steve Jobs and Bill Gates and Mark Zuckerberg and, and they're all, they're all fine. You know, that's all fine. But I can't even name a famous artist right now that's in our culture. That's like a famous artist that everybody's like, wow, their art is amazing. And I'm considering myself an artist it's like they just don't hold a candle to Steve Jobs. Why is that? <sighs> okay. So anyway, here's another one. Okay, we talked about the dark side, the balance. Did I do it all? Here's another one, okay? Um, everything's an Excel spreadsheet. So all the people that live under bridges and live outside, they're sort of this, and we all see them, sort of, but they're like invisible, right? The engineer doesn't count them. They're homeless. That means sort of not on the books. But they're really there. They're really existing there. So you can't tell me that it doesn't matter and that if they don't fit on the Excel spreadsheet, they're not real. 
So that's pretty obvious, but that's how our world is right now. Our, you know, they're sort of not really part of the community. They're not really citizens. They're not really, they don't have an address. All these other things that people, we've gotten used to this, this pushing things under the rug because it doesn't fit our engineering. Um, what's another one? Oh, another one is this. So uh, this week in Portland, I don't know what the vote was, but they voted uh, whether they should rezone all of the single family zoning in the city to be multifamily zoning. So there were a lot of activists that were saying, oh God, we need more housing. We need more housing without, I don't know how much understanding these people have of the dynamics of real estate right now. That's a whole other ball of wax that we will deal with in this season, I hope. Um, and the economy, how economies work in terms of real estate and housing. It's not just like producing iPhones for people. It's a totally different thing. Uh, but what gets me is that the city says, okay, we want to create more housing units, but what's a housing unit? So I live in a single family house that has five unrelated people living there. And yet to the city, that's a single family house. So one family lives there, but that's not one family living there. It's five unrelated people. And the way that we live is so affordable that if they tore that house down and built a five-story apartment building, with micro studios, trust me, they wouldn't be less than $1,000 a month. That would be cheap in Portland nowadays. Um, none of us could afford to live there. So what the city's doing by saying, oh, we're going to produce more housing, housing units, and that's how we're going to solve the problem is they are going to displace so many people that rent single-family homes with people that they're unrelated to. And it is going to wipe away the invisible affordability that we actually have. And then it's going to be it's just going to make the crisis worse. It's going to make it worse and worse and worse. And they're just going to keep engineering their way out of it. You cannot engineer your way out of these issues. You've got to innovate your way out of these issues and you got to be smart and you got to understand how important balance is and how important harmony is and always go towards that. And panic is not a plan. You know, you cannot panic. So it's like engineering with panic is like epic disaster. I'm being dramatic. <laughs> in this past year, I've also learned to kind of accept that things change and that you can't save everything, but you can save some stuff. One of the streets um, of Portland that really in the past year has just been completely transformed has been Division Street, where every old building is gone. There is no old buildings from a certain part of it. The main gist of it, there, there, are, there are no longer any old buildings on it. It's just all of these giant white boxes. And it's just this shining engineering feat. But there's no style. Style and architecture in general is the blend of the artist with the engineer. That's why it's such an intoxicating like profession and theme and why I'm so into it. It's just like you got to be good at math and you got to be good at art. How many people have that? We're all sort of tend to go one way or the other. And I'm definitely more of the artist type brain. And... Uh, you know, and in this day and age, that's a liability to be an artist brain. It's really, really hard to be placed in our society like that. These concepts, these ideas, being an idea person, even though they're so important, we need, we need so many new ideas to get ourselves out of these 21st century problems. And yet artists are just brushed aside as cute. You know, it's like all the artists that we lost in Portland because of gentrification and they're just gone. 
I don't hear anybody saying, wow, it sucks that we don't have as many artists, that we, that we lost a lot of people. It's more like, whatever, they were just doing cute stuff. They were doing little cutesy things. But it's like, what they really, really did was create the value of the town. I mean, honestly, like, the amount of the emotions that people had about this town. It was, I've never lived in a town where people liked it so much. It was like bizarre to me. I was like, okay. But all of it was reinforced by these artists. You'd go into these little shops and they'd have all these little paintings and you go into a coffee house, you have all these paintings and they still do. Um, but one of the big events that happened too was a, um, it was called the big 400 and it was like people would line up to go to this event. It was right before Christmas. Any artist could, uh, pay 40 bucks or I forget what you paid, but you got in and you got to sell your paintings for $40. So no matter what kind of artist you were, it was 40 bucks per painting and people loved it. It was an event. It was something that defined what the town was about. It created culture. And so that's so important. And that is what made the town so valuable that they have, they're tearing it down to build giant skyscrapers. It's like because of that value that was added. But once you extract that value and you engineer it out and you take it away, it's not a guarantee that artists are always going to be around to create value for your city. You know, you really got to create an environment that makes it a place they want to live. And I think a city full of apartment complexes that are owned by Wall Street, I don't know any artist that would be like, oh, I can't wait to go live there. The reason why the suburbs are hard to be an artist, it's like, it's not about that there. It's just about commerce, right? It's just about these corporate strip malls selling you stuff that you already know that you've been trained to like, you know, like the commercials are there to get you out of your house, to get you into the store, to get you the thing, to get you back to your house, to get you to watch more TV, to get you more into the store, to get you working to, it's just this cycle. So it's very difficult to be an artist in the suburbs because the suburbs, I think, are very, very engineered. And when I'm talking about suburb, you know, we'll use some different terms and we'll define them and what they are <clears throat> in this season. But when I say suburb, I mean town that was built with corporate money to build corporate landscapes. So, you know, uh, a Walmart parking lot, it doesn't belong, to, you know, that's, it's not a cultural space. So it's a corporate space. So there's that. So I think what's been happening is we've been only having engineered corporate spaces for the last you know, 60 years, almost 50 years, six years, and they get more and more engineered. Like now, everything even looks the same. Like, like for example, one of the main things they're building in Portland now is storage unit facilities. That's a whole other topic that I will rant about at some point. But um, they all look exactly the same. They have the same logo. They, they're the same materials. I was just in Chicago. They're building a ton of those things there too. They're exactly the same. So that's engineered, right? So my brain needs both. It needs engineering so I don't die, but it needs art artistry so that I want to live. And that's a good place to stop. Thank you so much for listening to the City Love Podcast 2020. Uh, what I'd like you to do this week is uh, take a look around your town, your environment, and uh, see where the engineer is at work and where the artist is at work, and really try to find those places where the artist and the engineer are working hand-in-hand, in, hand, in harmony, in balance, with nature and that's gonna do it for me i'm trying to say more stuff but i don't have anything more to say okay anyway okay
Thank you, good people of the world, for listening to the City Love Podcast today. We look forward to you listening to the next episode. Producer, John Thompson and Patrick Hilton. All music by Beluga. And remember, if you don't love your city, 